guys. Welcome back to Grace Unscripted. Thanks for tuning in. As always, I'm your host, Ben Falkerberg. Hey, today I'm joined by Liz Miller. And prior to this recording, I had never actually met Liz. I'd seen her around, but I'd never actually met her. However, like many of you, I was familiar with a part of her story. I remember when she lost her husband, Ricky. I remember my wife talking to me a lot about that. And so Liz and I sat down and we talked about how in the world does a mother of four survive the abrupt and unexpected loss of a husband. We talked about a lot of other stuff too, though, because while the loss of Ricky will always be a part of who Liz is, it's not all she is. And so I think you're really going to enjoy hearing who Liz is, and I think you're going to be able to learn a lot from her. She is an epic woman of God, and she was able to stay standing during life's worst storms. So thanks for listening, and welcome to Grace Unscripted. Hi, Ben. How's it going? It's going all right. We finally got a little bit of a break from the rain. Oh, it's unbelievable. I didn't remember what the sunshine looked like. I saw the sun (laughs) today for like two and a half minutes when I was upstairs, and I just stopped and looked out the window, and I was like, it finally stopped raining. Yeah, yeah. I mean, on on the bright side, this could all be snow, and that would be just like the worst. It it, It has been the worst fall I could ever imagine for, like, I have so many leaves down, and I can't even begin to think about raking Mm because they're just sopping wet. No, leaf pickup's like Monday, but no. I don't know. How are you doing today? (laughs) I'm doing well. I saw some sunshine. Yeah. All my kids are at school or at the sitters, so that's always a plus. Yeah. Yeah. So you got four kids. I do. You gave up some time. I know that's not easy. I have three giving up like an hour or two. Sometimes it's like, man, that's a lot of time. So thank yeah. you. Thank you for doing that for us. It's my pleasure. I'm I'm thrilled to be here and to kind of share a little bit of my story and yeah. where our family's been for the last couple of years and yeah. kind of what God's brought us through. Well, I'm excited to hear from you. You and your family have been coming to Grace for 12 years now. Yes, that's insane. That's a long time, especially yeah. in like how we roll as a society now. 12, <laughs> that's like a really long commitment. But you've it been is. here for 12 years. That's yeah. awesome. I'm here for the long haul. Grace is uh, my home. It's, they've been an incredible family for my own family and yeah. really showed up in a big way. Yeah. So we started come, uh, my husband and I started coming here 12 years ago, uh, just looking for a place to kind of get plugged in um, with, uh, with accountability in the leadership. That was something that was really important to my husband, Ricky. And when we first started coming, there were only 300 people, probably tops. So that you were, were kind of at the beginning a yeah. little bit. Yeah. yeah. But I was like, I'd been in church my whole life. Uh, born and raised in a very small church. So this yeah, so you were born, th- I just found this out, you were raised like Mennonite. Yes. So what's yeah. up with that? So how does, we, we got to talk about that for a little <laughs> bit. So because you end up here, that's kind of wild. So Isn't you're, it? you're raised Mennonite. You grew up where in Hart- Hartville? Yeah, maiden name is Hirschberger. So I'm sure you've heard of that. Yeah. That's oh, a yeah. popular Amish Mennonite name. Uh, my dad was a pastor. They called it a deacon of a very um, conservative Mennonite church where they wore the bonnets and the dresses and all of that. Um, but he always had a heart for the Lord and just really felt like some of the the rules that the Mennonites had um, asked for him to comply with were not from the Lord. It was hmm. it was man-made, and he felt like it was legalistic and did not want to be a part of that sort of uh, environment for his kids. So mm. he decided to start visiting other churches. And we went from this very strict, like, acapella, um, Mennonite music to, like, a charismatic church. Oh, wow. <laughs> <laughs> Where there wild. were some crazy things yeah. happening. <laughs> um, just because he wanted to follow the Holy Spirit. He wanted to follow the Lord and whatever, wherever he was moving. So we ended up visiting a bunch of churches and then ended up at a vineyard church. Um, which is where I was. It was a small vineyard church mm-hmm. here in Akron um, when I met Ricky. 
then mm. years and years later. That's cool. So, yeah. so your childhood, so you grow up Mennonite. It sounds like you had a pretty solid home, though. Your parents were <laughs> both Christians and stuff. Yeah, they were. They cool. just uh, wanted to honor the Lord in all that they did yeah. and left a big impression, I think, um, on me and my siblings. I come from a large family. I'm the oldest of eight. Yeah, that's so, a lot. yeah, we did. Yeah, there was just, uh, it was always crazy. It was a crazy party growing up, yeah. but always one that wanted to uh, honor Jesus in the middle of everything that we did. My mom was always really open to. Uh, praying for each other when we were going through hard times, she would say, let's stop. Let's just lay hands on you and pray hmm. for you and um, see what the Lord's saying right now. So it was just... I was, That's pretty cool. Isn't it? Yeah, like, is I, cool. Even coming from a background like that, I don't always parent out of that yeah. place. So I feel very privileged to have grown up uh, in an environment like yeah. that. That's so, awesome. Yeah. So, so you were homeschooled pretty much the whole way through. But one thing I learned about you, which is cool, so you came out and when you were a teenager, you, you went to... Uh, you joined Youth with a Mission. Am I saying that yeah, right? Is it yeah. called y- YWAM? Yeah, is that YWAM. How okay. It's sort of like a Christian missionary school, I Yeah, would so let's say. talk about that. Yeah. So what in, how in the world did you end up with that? Um, I One of my youth group leaders had um, taught a couple classes for YWAM, and she knew my heart. She knew that I wanted to just preach the gospel. And so she mm-hmm. said, why not give this a try? Why not go get some training? So I moved to Denver, Colorado, which is like where all good things happen and where the <laughs> sun shines, you know, unlike yeah. Akron, Ohio. Denver would be nice to live there. <laughs> um, yeah. So that was um, when I was 18. I, so you went out. So you just moved out to Denver. I did. Yeah. And I joined. So is this like a school? Mm-hmm. Okay. Because I'd never heard of this. So usually you told me about it. You do like six months of school where they bring in teachers and just teach you biblical truths and kind of really ground you in the Bible. And then you spend um, so it depends on the school that you go to, but several months where you will go and travel then around the world. So I was I, I was there for two years, but I was not in Denver that whole time. We we traveled literally all the way around the world. Did you to, really? Uh, so where all did you go? Uh, probably the Amazon was my favorite. We went to Brazil and, and toured wow. quite a bit there, but we were on a houseboat for a couple of months. You lived on a houseboat? Yeah, yeah. In the Amazon? So we did, yeah. Wow. Caught piranhas, swam with piranhas. It oh, was just crazy. a crazy time. And I feel like when you're young like that, it's just a great time yeah. to be able to do that. You're just you naive just, to like, you just don't right? care. Nothing. You just throw caution to the yeah. wind. I remember like the first night in Brazil getting over 150 mosquito bites. Oh, man. And because I had like a little hole in my mosquito net and I was like, meh, what's a little hole? And then I woke up with that many mosquito bites and I was like, well, Lord, you brought me here. Obviously, I have a mission to complete. And like just yeah. complete faith that like God was walking with me and I was there to accomplish what he wanted me to. So we did. Th- I did that. And then we also traveled to Australia, um, Thailand, mostly like. That's eight, incredible. Yeah. Yeah. What an awesome thing to do. So do you guys like fundraise that? I mean, because that's not yeah. cheap. How, okay. So yeah. Just, so like, I sponsored had, and stuff. Uh, I had saved a lot of money because like, okay. I knew I wanted to do that. So I worked ahead of time. Then I had asked for some donations. My parents helped me out a little bit, too. So, yeah, I did not work while I was there. It okay. was just So what kind of stuff would you guys do? So um, in the Amazon, it was a lot of like we would go to different little islands and to do puppets, that typical like youth group ministry mm-hmm. style things that you see, um, skits, things like that, um, that the, and on these islands, I mean, they were very remote. So any sort of like, I mean, I think third world country and that's mm-hmm. what they were experiencing there. So that was just a really special time for them to get to interact, I think, with people with different skin color because they were not Some used of them to, had maybe never seen like 
a white person yeah. before. Yeah, so um, just to kind of get to bond with them on that level and then share the gospel. We had translators, but then we also Yeah, I was learned, wondering how that works. So you had translators yeah, with you. But we had learned uh, some Portuguese before leaving, so like Portuguese songs, uh, the skits in Portuguese, that kind of a thing. So mm-hmm. we were able to speak it in their language. And then I even led, once we got to the city, um, it was in Recife, Brazil, um, led worship there for like a larger church, and we did some like church ministry. So, I mean, it was kind of spread across the board, but think kind of like typical mission style yeah. projects that we did. Um, when we went to Thailand, it was a little bit different. It was uh, ministry to prostitution, like prostitutes there. Because that's a huge thing in Thailand. Yeah. So a lot of times that looked like going into the bars early and while they were putting their makeup on, just having conversations mm-hmm. with them, which is like a whole different comfort zone. But yeah. we were so excited to go just to kind of share Jesus' love. And they wanted to learn English. So... So it works out. Yeah. yeah. So were they were like when you, you show up at Thailand, you go seek out these prostitutes. Are they like are they receptive to that or like how does that go? Um, they were, but I think a lot of times it was because they wanted to learn English mm-hmm. because then they could service a different clientele. Yeah. So there's like a fine balance there of um, sharing hope in the middle of yeah giving them something like tangible that they want to learn. And then the mission we um, partnered with obviously would help them to come out of that, gave them jobs. Um, Us being there helped support that mission. So we paid, you know, a room and board to be there so that um, they were actually making money too with us being there. Does that make sense? Yeah, Yeah. that makes sense. Yeah. So coming out of that, what do you think is the biggest thing you learned from that? Like, like, I mean, that's a life-changing experience. I can't imagine traveling the world for two years just globally. Yeah, I remember Jesus. coming back and just, like, walking into Walmart and being, like, so overwhelmed by consumerism. It had to be kind of weird, huh? Here in America. Yeah. yeah. Um, biggest lesson that I learned, I think just to always be mindful, like, no matter where people are coming from, we desperately want to know uh, where we belong. And mm. and looking for that when I um, meet people and knowing that that's kind of the place where they're coming from. I don't know. Does that make sense? Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah so. Very different worlds, though. Yeah. So, all right. So you come out of that. Now, you had met Ricky before you went there. Is yeah, that correct? All right. So how describe that. How did you meet him? And then you jet off for two years. Were you guys, like, dating at all before no, that? Or No. We love to make fun of each other. We, were, <laughs> we met and kind of just hit it off. We're good friends. So how'd um, you meet? We met through church. Okay. Uh, we both played on the same worship team. And he was just like a practical jokester, good guy, uh, football jock, uh, life of the party. And I was a little podunk homeschooler, like artsy fartsy kind of, and just loved to make fun of jocks and popular and people that thought they were all that in a box of chips. Like that was (laughs) not my jam. But we just, we had a really good relationship. So there was just a lot of comfortability that happened there. Um, and I left, uh, dated other people. He dated other people. We just remained really good friends. And then when I came back. From um, like you're traveling with yeah, the Yeah, yeah. Came back. Um, we just started spending more and more time together. And after probably a couple months, he was like, you know, we should make this a thing. Like, we should just try to date. And yeah. I was like, okay. Like, it was just very organic and natural and uh, quickly turned into something that we knew would be more than just like a fling. So yeah. from, I think, the, the day he asked me out to the day we got married was about an exact year. Wow. Yeah. That's fast. I, isn't it? Yeah. There's well, a lot. Tanya of- <laughs> and I were fast, too. I, we, we started dating in uh, September, and I would say by Thanksgiving, we were already talking, like, when do you want to get married? Yeah. I just knew right away. And so we, we ended up actually dating for a year and getting engaged for a year. But we got married 
I think like 22, 23 months after we started first like met each other. I think if you you see somebody else with a common goal, yeah, and even though you might have some differences, you see yourself uh, living your best life with that person because you know that you your eyes are on the, on the same prize. Does mm-hmm. that make sense? Yeah, for and sure. So I think that's what Ricky and I felt too. That's so, cool. So two thousand three, yeah. you got married. Yeah. Okay. Now. You start having a bunch of kids. So, you know, we just like to keep it fun. Yeah. That's what happened. That's cool. So you have four kids. I mean, I read their names. So you have Grayson's 12, Tony's 12, Weston's 11, and Isabel's three. Did I say that right? Uh-huh. Okay. Yeah. Now, I, I didn't know. So you're, you're second oldest, so Tony's adopted. Mm-hmm. So how'd that come about? You got to talk about the adoption process. Yeah. I'm sure that's an interesting process to get there and then work through and i'm sure it's a little overwhelming at times yeah i'm so passionate to talk about adoption um so we had grayson about a year after we were married and started talking about like what would our life look like would we ever want to adopt if that presented i think maybe we had done a bible study that francis chan had written and he um loves to talk about adoption and how francis chan has got mentioned like three separate occasions on this podcast (laughs) we're just promoting francis chan left and right yeah I like him, um, though. He's cool. Yeah, that's so funny that that's come up. I just think I think people are drawn to him because he preaches truth and he preaches Jesus. Yeah. Like, it all points back to him. He, he has such, like, a – he's very unique. He basically just is like, the world that you live in is probably not the world that Jesus wants for you. Right. You know what I mean? He's or like, just, so let's just look at the Bible. Let's take yeah. it over here and be like, does this line up with American – life and you're like no it doesn't right and i think that rawness appeals to us because we want to live authentically we want to live for the lord so yeah so we had read something that it was a study that he had done or a book that he had written it talked about adoption and so we said yeah we that's definitely something we'd be open to the bible says you know kids need a home we should be the ones to provide that for them um but you know we thought maybe once the boys or once grayson was older if our other kids were older, then we would adopt. Yeah. Um, so then after Gray, we had Weston. Um, they're about 14 months apart. And then when they were two and three, Tony came into our lives. Okay. So um, how, how, did, how did that happen? He was in the foster care system through Cuyahoga County, and Ricky's parents were a uh, foster family. Hmm. So he, ooh, they were his foster family. Um, and the night he came to live with them, Ricky went over to visit um, his family and came home. He was like, Liz, I met our little boy. I met wow. the little boy we're going to adopt. And I just looked at him because I'm like the worn out mother of a <laughs> yeah. two and three yeah. year old oh, boy yeah. who are just nonstop. And I was like, there's no way. Nope, we're not pass, hardcore pass. And he was just like, no, no, I really think this is a thing. And I, I blew it off for a couple weeks. Honestly, I was like, just no. He's like, just start praying about it. So I started praying about it, and, you know, God works in mysterious ways. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Uh, Tony and I had, uh, so his name is Tony. You know, I met him. He was this, like, the cutest little, um, just curly hair, the softest little skin. and So he'd have been, like, three years old? Yeah. Yeah. So he, uh, well, he was two and a half, I think, at that time, but close enough. Um, Just kind of fit right in our family and I started helping take care of him I was the alternate foster person if Ricky's parents ever needed to go out of town um, we were the ones that would take care of him then Um, so after a couple it was a couple months I was like okay Lord I think this is something that like no other families are interested in adopting him like because he's so he's a foster he's in the foster system because at any point like his biological family like somebody could come and just be like we want him Right? Um, Is that true? Well, so his biological family, um, it had been two years. So in that foster, I think, I don't know if Summit County is the same way as Cuyahoga County, but the family has two years to make a decision. So there's a time frame. Yeah, yeah. And they had chosen not to. He was with another foster family that had had been neglectful, which is just horrible. Um, So he was removed from that home. And I think that 
that original foster family had intended to adopt him, um, but because they were neglectful, yeah. they you know obviously didn't get a chance to do that. So he had come to um, live at my in-laws because of neglect from a previous home. Gotcha. So at that point, um, he was just like a number in the system mm-hmm. where nobody had spoken, you know, taken interest in that. So yeah, there's there's so many kids who need a home. A lot of times it does look like the families are still interested. Um, their biological families are still interested, but they're, you know, working on getting their act together and yeah. being, you know, good parents. Yeah. Because if so. we have friends, they go here, Ben and Jess, and they, they just, they're like fostering a, a little a little girl, but they were, were talking to them and they're like, yeah, like at any point, like they're still in that little window here. Yeah. They're like, like the dad or the uncle, someone could just step through and be like, we want the baby. And yeah. it's like, man. Yeah. Like that is a really difficult thing to be like, we're going to go pour out our love on this kid. She's our kid now. Mm-hmm. And then someone just be like, nope, we got it. Yeah. Her. Well, and I think um, speaking from like just understanding, uh, hearing a lot of social workers talk about that, they've seen long term how a child does in their own biological environment versus how a child can do in, a, in an adopted environment. Mm-hmm. And long term, they see those kids coming back and wanting to meet, you know, those biological family members. So they try to place them with yeah. that. But if there's not a healthy member of that family, then that's just not yeah. an option. So, so how do you how do you fully decide like we're going to bring Tony in? How does that work? So we said, you know what, God, we'll we'll try to do the foster classes. We'll we'll start ter- the certification process. And if at any point, God, you say like this is not something that's best for our family, just let us know yeah, like we'll in a loud and clear way. And we didn't really get any of that. So we um, did the classes. We got certified, and then. Um, he came to live with us, and there's a six-month waiting period between when a child moves into your home just to make sure it's a good fit on all you know fronts. So there was a social worker that would um, visit us uh, that was ours, and then his would come and also visit us to make sure that he was meshing well with the family. And it went well. It was crazy and chaotic because there's oh, three sure. boys, like three and under. So That's exhausting just thinking do, about. Right? Yeah, I just didn't stop moving. I lost a bunch of weight. <laughs> yeah. It was great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but that process went fairly smoothly, and we ended up adopting him uh, November of '07. That's cool. So yeah, that's a little bit of how he came to live with us. And and, and then you have one other girl. Yeah, you have a girl, Isabel. I yes. say that right. And so when's she coming into the picture? Isabel uh, was born 2014. Okay. So she's three, almost four, as of this recording. So you guys are just walking through. Yeah. Um, you got four kids. Ricky gets sick at some point. Yeah. Right? He gets, uh, I wrote this down. Um, he got diagnosed with an autoimmune disease, polymyositis. Did I say that right? Polymyositis, yeah. Myositis. Okay. So what yeah. is that? Essentially, that means many sore muscles. So he was diagnosed uh, just a couple years after we adopted Tony. So he was a, uh, diagnosed in 20, or, uh, 2010. So was he having like... Sore muscles. Sore muscles. Yeah. yeah. And so we went to the doctor, did a bunch of blood work, kept getting, you know, different results that just kind of showed inconclusive. And then eventually a doctor put him in the hospital and said, we're just going to keep running these tests until we can kind of get to the until bottom we figure of out what's going on. Yeah. Um, and so once they were able to test for that, it's a fairly um, rare disease. I've met some people um, since, you know, he was diagnosed with that, you know, they hear and they're like, yeah. oh, you know, so-and-so has this. Um, so that turned into... Um, his, uh, he started getting chemo treatments for that. And that Did he seemed, really? Mm-hmm, that so seemed, what's the chemo do? Um, so it kind of builds your immune system up to, because with polymyositis, your immune system is like 
overacting. So it's attacking it's your like muscles. It's like damaging your muscular cells. Yeah. So the so the chemo um, just brought that immune system down, and then essentially they tried to build it back up. That makes does sense. that make sense? That does make sense. Um, so it's, it's like his immune system was doing too much work. Yes. Yeah. On its own, so they kind of like knock it down. Yeah, okay. so we kind of went through a really rough period with yeah, that. Yeah, so what's that like? I mean, you're just rolling along, and then is he just like how, – like how long is he sore before you guys figure out what's going on? He's just like, man, um, like I don't feel well or – It was probably about a year yeah. of That's him so just saying he lost a bunch of weight, and we were trying to figure out why. He was a big guy. He was six. He's five, a big dude, yeah. Almost 300 pounds, so yeah, he didn't mess around. We always like to joke that I like – even at my heaviest pregnant weight, weighed less than <laughs> half of him. Yeah, you're like the size of his right leg. <laughs> Actually, I did fit into his car hearts. Yes, awesome. that was a thing. <laughs> um, so, yeah, it, he'd lost a bunch of weight, which was kind of a like, okay, your muscles are sore and you're losing this weight. So it was about a year process to figure that out. And then um, once we did figure it out, I was very fearful. Like, just, uh, just God, what are you doing? We have three little boys. He's the yeah. breadwinner. What does what is our life supposed to look like in this? And I remember it was probably about a month after he got diagnosed. He's started reading the Bible a lot more and just um, pursuing the Ricky Lord. Did. Yeah, um, he met with a mentor here at church who really started challenging him, and we just started um, seeking God in 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 our current life a lot heavier because we were going through that hard time. And I remember one morning he woke up and he said, "Liz, I had the most amazing dream last night." I said, okay, you know, what is it? He had, he was like this crazy vivid dreamer anyway. So I just kind of, you know, whatever he goes, I, I, we had been house shopping at the time. So he said, I, I dreamt of this amazing house. I said, okay, what was it? You know, he goes, it was like, this house was built for me. He said, uh, it had this amazing crown molding because he was obsessed with crown molding <laughs> of all things. That's so random. These like incredible speakers that like he had been pining after for a long time at Best Buy of all places. <laughs> And he goes, the the garage, he's like, it was a four-car garage, but with, like, all the tools that I would ever need to fix in a car. And uh, he goes, this house, it felt like it was just built for me. And I was like, oh, my gosh, well, we can never afford that. So <laughs> dream on. That was a nice thing yeah. that you dreamt that. Um, and he goes, but more than that, he goes, he goes, Liz, the, the feeling of peace that I felt when I was there, he goes, it was unlike anything that I've ever felt in my whole life. Mm. And I just said, oh, well, you know, okay, you know, trying to be my supportive wife. He goes, then he stopped. He goes, I think that's how my house is going to be in heaven. Hmm. And I just stopped what I was doing, and I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. You know, yeah. <laughs> this is not okay. Like, you're already sick. I've Googled a lot of things about polymyositis. No, I'm, yeah. I'm nervous about you dying. And he said, you know, he goes, I, I have a lot more to accomplish in my life here for a house like that in heaven. So it's going to be a long time before yeah. I pass away. And we kind of like chuckled about it. Um, and I, I agreed. I was like, yeah, you, you got some, you got some work to do, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, um, but I was still very fearful and he sat down he was like, you need to remember that God's ways are not our ways. And just because you're afraid that like something would happen to me if, or if, if, you know, I was to get more and more sick, he goes, uh, God would be with you in the middle of that. And you don't fear. Don't live in fear because God is with us in our darkest hour. Hmm. And it just kind of, it made this big impression. I mean, it was a very uh, pivotal conversation. He um, pulled out Isaiah 55 and he read it to me. He goes, for my thoughts are not your thoughts and your ways are not my ways. This is the Lord's declaration for us. Heaven is higher than earth. So my ways are higher than your ways and my thoughts than your thoughts. And it goes on to talk about um, even even when it doesn't look like it, I'm creating something new. Mm. And 
that just sat with me um, because in my mind, I think I had always equated you do the right things and then God will make your life look right, you know? Yeah. And that seems like a very shallow way of thinking. But in my brain, I was like, do all the right things. God will bless you. Um, And it was just kind of a, a shift in my mindset of like, no, my ways are better. And, and trust me in this, Liz. So, yeah. yeah. So, so that conversation happened. Um, he did some chemo treatments, and then his health improved. It got better, so we thought we kind of had conquered that. We kind of got past that. And then some lung issues started to flare up. And that So how long ago was – so he gets diagnosed what year? Uh, 2010. 2010. And then – so when do the lung issues start flaring up? Um, about 2014 because okay. it was similar to the time when I got pregnant with Isabel and I was like, oh, oh man, grief. I'm pregnant. Your lungs are not doing well. Yeah. And he just said, Liz, we've been through this before. We're going to get through this again. It's yeah. fine. You know, like do what the doctors tell me to do, take the right meds, and I'll be all right. Um, and she was born um, in November. 2014. And, yeah. Uh, okay. Yes. Okay. Yeah, she was born in November 2014. And um, he just started having more and more health problems. So then in 2015, uh, he actually got put on oxygen for his lungs. It was the end. So she would have been a little over like a year. Like permanently? Like he just No, had to- he got put on oxygen and they were like, you know, let's see if this helps your lungs. Like build back up and we'll give you some lung treatments. And it didn't seem like it was getting any better. So by 2016, like February, he had been in and out of the hospital a couple of times. And they said, we were looking at like maybe needing a lung transplant. Oh, man. Yeah. Um, at that point, though, because of our previous conversations, he was like, I got this. Like, God's with us. Yeah. We're going to get through this together. Um, so I wasn't worried about him, die- him dying, but I was worried about like, how are we going to pay all the bills? Yeah. I'm trying to work and we have four children and you're on oxygen. Like this is not e- an easy life we're living right no. now. But we like both- I saw this going differently. Yeah, you know? yeah. But we both really felt like God was holding our hands in the middle of it and we weren't alone in that. So That's cool. um, then uh, end of March, he went into the hospital with the flu. So end of March, this is 2016. Yeah, yeah. Um, and Just like the regular flu, he just went in? Yeah, yeah, and he was having a hard time breathing. Uh, it, was, it was, I was sad. You know, I was like, this is not okay. His lungs aren't well anyways. Um, and then April 5th, and the kids all had it at home too. So I oh, was at home taking, oh, man. he had gotten it first, then they got it, you know, a couple days after he was in the hospital. So I was at home taking care of them. April 5th, he called me and he said, um, you need to come to the hospital. I'm not well. And he, and his entire, like, he never said that to difficulties. You. It's always like, I'm fine. Don't worry about it. Just very played everything down. So I left the kids and I was like, well, I'm kind of coughing. You know, I don't want to get you more sick. And he goes, just, just come in. So I was wearing a mask and I saw how sick he had gotten, um, just pale. Yeah. So I called a couple of our friends and we all just sat around the entire day, like praying, laughing, talking to Jesus, uh, making some jokes, you know, mm-hmm. um, I was with him. And, um, the last thing he said to me was, Liz, you know, that the only reason I'm doing this is to fight for you and to fight for our family. And we're going to get through this. And I went home to sleep that night and got a call in the middle of the night, um, to come down to the hospital right away. And when I arrived, they were doing CPR and they had lost him. So it's unbelievable. Uh, yeah, it, it was um, the most traumatic thing that I hope will ever happen to me. It was uh, it was it was horrible. That is unbelievable. Yeah. I'm yeah. glad you had that day with them. It, yeah, it was one of those days where um, 
it was just a sweet time together mm -hmm. and um, that our friends could, because he loved to have friends around all the time, so that our friends could be there with us as well to enjoy that day. Do you feel um, like he felt like that was coming? Was he trying to, like, or did you feel like that was coming at no, that point? Or are you still just like, man, no. he's really sick? He's like, I went home like, man, he's sick. Like, this yeah. is, is going to be rough to get come back from this, but he's bounced back from everything before. And he just was not a quitter, so I didn't think that that would be... Um, uh, an outcome. Yeah. I just always saw him pulling through. Man. Just like that, like you're cruising along and now you're a single mother. Yeah. Four kids. Yeah. And the breadwinners just passed. Yeah. Yeah. Now, like, I want to do this justice. So when I talked with Lori Rodman, I was like, like, we're going to sit here and we're going to talk with Lori. Lori is not just Ryan Rodman's wife. She's Lori Rodman. Mm -hmm. And so I think that for most people in the church, like, when they see your name, when it pops up and it's your week and it downloads on the podcast, like Liz Miller, they're probably going to have an idea of what we're talking about. Yeah. But I, I do want to do justice and make sure that, like, we're not – I don't want you to feel boxed in here of, like, you're not just – Ricky's grieving wife like you're Liz like we're gonna we're gonna talk about this not to paint you into a picture of who you have to be but I just think like even from the outside someone like me I had never met you until 30 minutes ago I never yeah. I never met Ricky but I knew what you guys were going through and my wife would show me pictures She'd be like yo like like Ricky's getting sick and she yeah. didn't really even know you she just kind of had seen you at stuff mm -hmm. and so I want to focus on this for the next bit just because I think what we've all seen you handle this from a distance or from close deserves our attention yeah. okay yeah. And so i want to do that for you so i don't want you to feel like hey, we're gonna sit here in this box and i have to be this no. person on the podcast i just i think who you've been through it deserves our attention and so that's kind of what i would like to talk about if that's all right with you yeah. yeah um okay so with that being said that storm comes yeah and then where are you i mean emotionally physically spiritually like where are you like, what uh, yeah. does that look like? That was a place. That was a place that I never saw myself. And even even leaving the hospital that day, I just said, "How am I going to tell my kids? Like, how do how does somebody go home and share with three little boys and their baby daughter that their dad is not coming home? They thought I was coming home to take them back to the hospital to see him because they had not seen him yeah. in about a week because he had. They were sick. He was sick. Um, so I went home and uh, my parents were with me. And we sat the kids down and we told them, you know, daddy's in heaven now. And I just stopped and I remember thinking like, oh my gosh, I've always believed in heaven my entire life. Now my other half is there. Mm -hmm. Like, like either heaven's real or heaven's not real at all. Yeah. And I don't know if that makes any sense if you've ever lost somebody close to you like that, where you're forced to really kind of reckon with like what you believe and, and being fully aware that there is another realm. There is a spiritual realm that living in a physical realm we don't pay attention to no we don't so just that reality kind of hit me like a load of bricks and starting to question again like god do you really care about us do you see us like this is not how i saw my life going i wanted a little white picket fence i <laughs> wanted to go into the inner city and do my thing on the weekends and then go back to living a great easy life like yeah. the, it was a, a time of just being so frustrated at the Lord. Yeah. And I remember my friend pulling me aside one day, and I was just saying, why would God do this to us? Like, does he not even love us right now? 
and she, I said, we prayed for healing, and, and I really thought God was going to heal Ricky. And she said, you know, Liz, she goes, he is healed. Yeah. And I just, it, like, it was one of those, I think I fell over. Like, I just sat in the chair, and I was like, you're right. You're right. This, this world is not our home. This world is not our end. And God's answers to our prayers look different than mm-hmm. what we think that they, they will. Not yeah. always, but in this particular instance, it's just completely different. So I think in the middle of that time, while it was very hard, my heart was just open to this whole new hope of heaven and what that looks like. Like, this world is not our home. No. This is not the end. So to, to for somebody that I love so much to be in this next world, it was just this um, whole new set of eyes. Yeah. I was talking um, at work with one of my... Um, my friends and he, I have him. He, he doesn't come to Grace. He he doesn't come to church. I'm trying to get him here, but I have him listening to the podcast or whatever. And, and we just finished up that uh, God and Money series, and we were just talking. And he was just like, it, it blows my mind when I think about like financially. Like we give so much time to these forty, fifty years, like in our thoughts and everything. Yeah. And then I was like, in compared to eternity, mm-hmm. it's just like it's it's something we don't stop to think long enough about. But when you give it even like three seconds, it just blows your mind. You're it like there's really like an, there's like this eternity on the other side. Yeah, I think now I'm I'm convinced that heaven is watching us, and in the end, the things that the things that are going to scream the loudest about here our life here on earth is how we loved, and I love that series about money because uh, it talks about how we love our neighbors with our money and mm-hmm. and how we spend our money. I mean, I'm so quick to just kind of check the list off of like I need this, I need this, and not pay attention to like it matters in eternity mm-hmm. how we use our resources yeah. here. That yeah. was just a, I highly encourage anybody who didn't listen to that. Yeah, that was really good. To go back and check that out. So let me ask you this. How do you grieve while having to parent four kids? Or how do you, like, how do you parent mm, four kids yeah. while having to grieve? Like, how does that happen? A lot of counseling and a lot of crying on the top of bunk beds. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah I... Because they're grieving too. Mm-hmm. We, we all grieve together. And I always wanted to be honest with my kids and not try to cry behind closed doors. Yeah. I didn't want to traumatize them, but I wanted them to know that we were in this together and that we were going to get through this together. And because of the legacy their dad left, that we could continue to carry that on. So um, it was just a very hard year. I would say uh, we did we did some intensive family counseling just to kind of walk through that okay. um, and have um, – professionals who can kind of help guide conversations productively and just make a safe space for us to um, be raw and real with each other. And we continue to do that. I mean, he's been gone for two and a half years, and I would say there are still moments of triggers where where somebody will be sad. And we just sit there and cry together and remember the man that he was. Um, But then I think there's a lot of hope in the middle of that, of remembering, like, we get to see him again. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Uh, does that answer your question? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. I think like, um, and I've talked about this before, like we had a stillbirth after our first two, yeah. we had a our third one was a stillbirth. And like, when I hear your story and it's just human nature, we like kind of compare stuff and mm-hmm. people are like, Oh, I'm so sorry. And I'm like, listen, it was awful, but we never lost. We, I always use the term. We never lost a place at the table. So like mm-hmm. if I sit there at dinner and I look to my right and my left, my girls who have always been there are still there. Yeah. Like, our, ba- our our son Benson was never there. Mm-hmm. So, like, we have triggers, like his birthday. We planted the tree out front that's growing. And mm. so, like, every year it just gets bigger. And, yeah. and I mean, so there's triggers, right? Or, mm-hmm. uh, like, the things that, like, bring you right back. Like, it just happened. You're like, mm-hmm. holy smokes. But we never, like, 
we don't have as many as many triggers, maybe I yeah. would say. And so is that something you still feel like on a daily basis? Something just triggers it and you're like, oh my gosh, like you're just right back in that moment? Yeah, I would say in the last six months, I felt less of those, which is such a welcome relief because mm-hmm. for a while it felt like every hour something triggered and it was, it was a, especially that first year of like learning how to live life as a single parent um, and comforting my kids in the middle of that while experiencing triggers regularly was a very difficult space where I leaned on the Lord hardcore and he showed up in such a big, beautiful way. Yeah. And something I always referenced was I remember going to one of my counselors and saying, um, how do I reckon with this like beautiful truth of eternity and, and the fact that this world is not our home and like all that heaven has to offer. I know the kind of home that my husband is in, in heaven. Because he told you about right? his four-car garage. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's yeah, actually a thing. Well, whatever. <laughs> but just like him living in that place of peace. Yeah. Um, but so reckoning with that truth with like, I'm a single mom of four kids and working and trying to make this all work and just missing my other half so much. Mm-hmm. And I remember my counselor telling me, um, think of it as tr- railroad or like train tracks so those things have to interlock together and so just constantly reckoning with both of those truths and remembering how like when I'm feeling that grief and that sadness to remember the hope and to allow that to infuse my thought process yeah because at some point there's like the transition of like this just happened the -hmm. world is just dark like it just completely stops but there is a point where you're like you get to and moving on is not the right word like the transition of like, okay, we have to keep living. Moving through it. Yeah, we, yeah. We, like as a mother now of four and my mm-hmm. kids, like our family, we have to move through this. Yeah. And um, I, I, like, so how did people come around you in that? Like, mm. I'm sure, like, because I knew, I know the church did, not to plug the church, but to just talk about like, what did that look like in your life for people in the church or people that were just in your lives? Yeah. Like, how did they come around you and help you in this? So this is where, like, when I referenced earlier um, that our church has become our family, like, I can't even say enough good things about Grace. I think we had meals for, like, a solid six months where people were constantly coming, hanging out with us. Some of my good friends would come over and clean my house, uh, hang out with my kids when I was just too sad to be alone. Because Mm. when you go from sharing your life as closely as Ricky and I shared lives together, I just felt very lonely. So they kind of stepped in and were Jesus' hands and feet in the middle of that. I remember uh, one night, somebody, or it was Sunday afternoon, people came over after church and moved a swing set for me, raked my leaves, like just... I, they would say, what service projects do you need done? We want to be there for you. We want to so help cool. you. Isn't it? That like, is really cool. For Jesus' hands and feet to kind of come around me like that was just so comforting. Yeah. So I would say, yeah, just very practically. And then even I remember often, that, like, the practicalness of it. I remember Jeff talking about it on stage one time when uh, I think it was Heidi's mom got sick and died when they were on vacation or whatnot. And they were, people were just, he was just in this crazy time. And like, what do you need? And he was like, I just need someone to cut my grass. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that is all I need. Like Jesus's hands and feet here Mm -hmm. might just be cutting my grass. Mm -hmm. And that's awesome that you had people just being there for you. And I always say prayer makes all the difference in the world. So if you're listening to this right now and you're like, man, I've got all these other things going on. I'm driving all the time for, you know, carpool or whatever. Think of those people in your lives that are in the valley of despair, are in the pit of despair and start praying for them because 
because that makes all the difference. I, I tell people all the time, I would randomly have somebody text me and be like, I don't know why, but I was thinking this thought and this Bible verse came to mind and I just I felt like Jesus wanted me to share it with you. Mm. And it would have been something that I read that morning that it just was like, had clicked and I was like, I think that's you, God. And then getting that text, I was like, whoa, like it just kind of hits you. Yeah. And you recognize that the Holy Spirit's walking with you in the middle of that dark season. So yeah. don't ever make light of, of prayer. Like, it does make all the difference in the world. All right, now at some point, you started a blog. So I did, yeah. Let's talk about that. So was that... Like my, I've talked a little bit about um, some members of our family had a hard time having a baby and just walking this for years and years. Mm-hmm. And eventually, she's such a good writer. She started blogging, and she would say that was like her helping her process grief a yep. little bit. Would that have, was that kind of what it looked like for you? Yeah, very much. It was not an effort to sort of teach anybody anything. Yeah. It was. Uh, just therapeutic like I would have a memory about Ricky and I'd be like why am I having this memory and so I'd start just kind of writing through and writing my thoughts down and I think maybe the first couple were points that I wanted to make that I felt like Ricky didn't get a chance to say these things I want to say them for him Mm. Um, but it kind of turned into then just like remembering him and it being so comforting and just kind of wanting to put out into the world like the way God kept showing up for me in my own uh, home. So I mean I don't I'm really busy with work and the podcast and kids and yeah. we're trying to do some other fun stuff with the podcast. And it's like, I don't frankly sit online very often, nor do I read blogs, but I, I had been preparing for this for the week and I, yeah. I clicked on yours and it was called, is it Musing with the Millers? Yeah. The, it was like, you know, yeah. a five minute brainstorm where yeah. I was like, what could we call this? Liz it's is very good. Things. <laughs> it's like really good. Like I read the first one. I was like, wow, like that's really good. And so oh, I read a couple of you. them and I was just like, this is cool. Um, I actually wrote, I printed one off. I wanted to read it. Yeah. Um, because this caught my eye. I just thought this was such an, just an awesome thing that you wrote. All right, so I'm going to read this. This is Liz's words, not mine. She wrote this on uh, May 14, 2016, so this wouldn't have been very long. Um, it's called Two Truths. She says, Ever since Ricky passed, I seem to be caught between two truths or two realities. The first truth is who Jesus is. My soul finds rest in God alone. He is my rock and fortress. I am not alone. Jesus is so close to the kids and I. It is beautiful. Also, Ricky is with Jesus. As a Christian, this is the ultimate. He has arrived. No pain, no suffering. With Jesus, he is living the dream. When I focus on that truth, I feel like smiling, sometimes even laughing, because the one that I love most was in this tremendous frustration with the breakdown of his earthly body. That is no more. And for that, I am so grateful. I feel thrilled to know that he is in his heavenly home. And then you quote 2 Corinthians 5 where Paul's talking about our earthly bodies basically groaning as we look forward to our resurrection bodies. And then you say, knowing this, I I do actually feel joy. Earth is so temporary. We will see him again one day. Ricky has been given the ultimate body and my socks are knocked off at this reality. (laughs) And then the second truth is that he is gone and that the kids and I are here without him. This truth is unbearable. Mm -hmm. I don't think that I've really ever stopped to think about the word grief-stricken, but that is what I feel, every last little bit of it. Distressed, upset, inconsolable, pained, wretched, heartbroken, these are the words that come to mind when I dwell in this truth. This truth seems to pop up in unexpected ways. It popped up on Mother's Day when I shredded a sharp cheddar cheese, and (laughs) Ricky always ate half of the block of sharp cheese when I would get ticked off. He'd just laugh and go buy more. And then you kind of go on and share some more stuff. Yeah. Um, But that that struck me 
just because of your wording, like the two truths. Um, and it's almost like what Paul talks about is like there's like this tension in life, mm. right, of like you kind of talk about like the, the tension of what is to come and how do you reconcile that with the tension of like what you're living in right now. Yeah. And I feel like not only for you but like yours has kind of been manifested through this process of grief of like how do I deal with this? But I think even just for the Jesus follower, like I feel this all the time. Mm-hmm. Like maybe not through that lens of grief but I feel that tension of like, all right, this is what's to come, but like right now, look at all this stuff I'm dealing with. Mm-hmm. And I don't know. I just thought that was such a cool lens into your heart of like this way that you're seeing the world is like, how do I reconcile life now? This is what it is. Like, this is my reality. But at the same time, there's this ultimate reality. Yeah, I think even now. So I wrote that two years ago. Um, even even now, recognizing just on a global level all of the crap that's going on around us and it just feels very dark sometimes but what I can bring to the to the table so to speak is Jesus truth and his life and his hope and Mm -hmm. and just eternity so always keeping that at the forefront of my every move you know every when I uh, start to go down that road of depression or feeling overwhelmed because I think that's pretty a popular feeling for a single parent is just how do you juggle all the balls all the time and recognizing like I just can't and that's okay because I have the Lord with me uh infusing his strength and all these things and when I drop one it's all right you know yeah so I don't know kind of coming to terms with like I am not perfect and that is okay yeah (laughs) but I I think um I think it's been so cool just hearing you now but having seen this and hearing people talk about this because I think people would look at you and be like, well, her house never washed away. Mm-hmm. Like, right. Because it was on the, you laid it on the foundation. Yeah. Jeff talked about, I think it was like two weeks ago. It was like, you build your house on the rock. Mm-hmm. And, and it's one thing to stand up on the platform and say like, you have to build yourself, your house on the rock because when that storm comes and it's coming, your house is going to wash away if it's not. And then there's one thing to be sitting here talking about like, oh, our house would have washed away. Yeah, Because, yeah. I mean, that floors you. Yeah, I thought about that. Actually, I heard that message, too, and I just remember thinking, like, man, Ricky and I did that. Yeah. We did okay. You did do it. And and that came from, you know, regularly attending church, putting into practice what the Bible teaches. Uh, and I would say we we worked, we did a lot of hard work before any storm struck. Yeah. We were fortunate, and fortunate enough to come from um, two, you know, he had a Christian family, I had a Christian family. We were taught truth. And we chose to build our home that way. And so there was that foundation that was there. Somebody asked me the other day, like, so if you were to go back, you know, to like the Liz right after she got married, um, what would you tell her? Like, what would you tell her to do to to be able to weather those storms? And uh, it it took me aback because I was like, I don't know, just live your life. Like, do the best, you know, (laughs) follow the Lord. (laughs) But I really do think it, it... comes from a place of like consistently reading the bible talking to jesus asking him what he's about and trying to follow that that will ground you because if god is for you who can stand against you you know like there's such strength um come what may like i i know where i stand here and nothing can tear me down that's awesome that's like right up my favorite passage Uh, i have a couple i've shared i love galatians 5 but one of my other favorite ones is uh is Philippians one twenty one where Paul's writing, he says, to live is Christ, to die is gain. And spending some time thinking in that, and I was thinking about that this week as I was focusing on um, our conversation, is like to live is Christ. Like, mm-hmm. there's a, that, like to live here and everything that he has blessed us with, to like proclaim his name, 
what an awesome thing. And he's blessed us with so much, like family and just all the stuff of life that are good. Like mm-hmm. there's so much good here. But to die is gain mm-hmm. because to die is to be with him, yeah. you know? Yeah. And I think it's helped me find like a fearlessness in life, yes. not a recklessness, not a, right. you know, I want to be here for my family. I want to grow old with my wife. But like there's a fearlessness of like we're going to build our, our future. We're going to build our home, our marriage, our family on this rock. Mm-hmm. I have nothing to fear because he yes. is he, like I am his and he is mine. He created me. He has me. Like mm-hmm. he has my heart. No matter what comes, like I am his and I have nothing to fear. Oh, it's so good. It's Preach just incredible. It. Yeah. I mean, I frankly, I don't know how you walk through what you've walked through if, if you are at least operating somewhat in that space. Because yeah. otherwise you just like, what do you have? You, you, well, there's just no hope there. It's a sort of like, well, I guess I'll get up and make this happen. And <laughs> yeah. that just turns into, I think, bitterness really quickly. Yeah. And that's not something that I ever wanted for my life, for my kids. And I know that's not something that Ricky would have ever wanted for us. Yeah. So, oh, that's just so good. Just to, um, I call it like reckon with the rumble. I think that's a Brene Brown style. <laughs> I don't know if you're familiar no. with her, but she talks about vulnerability often and just sort of living out of this authentic place where you recognize this truth and you're like, well, this is where we're at. And I'm going to choose to like put one foot in front of the other and live as authentically as I can because th- this is what th- I get one life. Mm-hmm. You know, it's a very short life. Sometimes it feels like it's never going to end. Yeah, sometimes when you have it's little like kids. 6.30 at night and you're like, <laughs> have I lived five lives? What just right? happened today? <laughs> but to keep that truth in perspective like this, we have such a short time here and what will we do with our time? Yeah. You know? I don't want to look back and be like, I was too afraid to do those things. Yeah. I want to like decide like you did maybe with this podcast, like that's, that's an area that I want to make a difference. I'm going to go for it yeah. and just live life fully. Cause not everybody gets a chance to, you know, like thinking about your son, I don't know if that ever infuses you to like, he wasn't able to live a life. So I'm going to do the very best that yeah. I can to, to live well. That's cool for Benson. Yeah. Um, so how are your kids doing now? Oh, they're crazy. Are they? It's just chaos at my house all the time. <laughs> I can't even imagine, really. It's so funny that you asked that because we just came through another. I mean, they were grieving for a long time, and yeah. we, we had our fair share of troubles, and we just kind of came through another, um, just something that kind of came out of left field, and I didn't see it coming. And I went back to like, God, are you like, do you see what's going on? You promised to be a good father. So like, I'm expecting you to show up. And, and he has, and maybe not in the quite the way I I would have liked him to, I would have liked to avoid the crisis. And he kind of helped me walk through it. But he provided people along the way, people here at church, that kind of held my hand and reminded me of God's truth in the middle of that. Um, they're doing well. Grayson, uh, they all are at different schools too. So that just always makes that's for, like, unbelievable. a crazy time. I like to keep life complicated. You have four kids at four different schools? Well, the youngest goes to daycare. Oh, so gotcha. then the three boys are in middle school, but that's like 21 teachers and three different principals to keep straight. That is wild. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, they all have different, uh, w- ways they like to learn. So they're, they're in three that's different cool. spaces and they're doing really well. That's yeah. awesome. I just told, um, I was talking to my sister the other day, just to go back on um, adoption, just to kind of highlight that a little bit. And I said, you know, I feel like my son who's adopted is better than he's ever been in his whole life. But I am muddier than I have ever mm-hmm. been and just kind of dragged down by all of the difficulties and the things that he was exposed to before coming to live with our family. Um, but I'm so happy for him 
I'm so, I'm so excited to see what kind of path God's taken him on. Because not only was his biological dad not able to be there for him, but his adoptive dad yeah. also passed away. So to know that God is going to show up as his um, good father and shepherd him is just, I don't know, it's really making me excited to see the good things that will come from all of this. That's so, awesome. so yeah, so if anybody's out there and is listening and is contemplating adoption or foster care um, or has, and they're like, I don't know, this might not be for me, like keep on keeping on because it is worth it. It's so worth it. And yeah, you're probably going to get muddy along the way. Life with the Lord is, it's not easy. No, ever. It's not. Why do we think it's going to be easy? I, I th- I think we're taught that wrongly in some places. I think that's what it is. I think yeah. our culture teaches us probably that it's supposed to be easy. And it's just if you even read like two pages of the Bible, you're like, oh, this definitely isn't right? easy. Yeah. I don't know where it's like, we why get are these this guys idea? getting killed and beat up and going back into the city? I mean, Paul gets drugged out of the city. They try to smash his face in with rocks. Yeah. God brings a bag. He just walks back into the city. Right? That's not but easy. But there's like no emotion that's written in <laughs> no. the Bible. No, that's yeah. just like, but he walked up and went back. Yeah. Like for me, I'd need like a year of therapy, <laughs> yeah. you know, because they tried to kill me. I know. I know. <laughs> so um, just, just keep on walking the walk because some days. It doesn't look glamorous. It doesn't look pretty. And uh, keep your eyes focused on the Lord because when you're in the middle of that, he is our provision. Yeah. All right. Last question for you. All right. And I've been trying to ask this to everybody. I forgot Josiah the other day. But why do you love Jesus? Oh, because he's my light. He's my everything. I have to, like, think about this for a little while. No, There's, like, 75 different ways to answer this. You're like, this. well, this could be six hours right here. <laughs> um. I'm starting to recognize who he created me to be, and I really like that person, hmm. and I'm pretty thankful to him right now for that. That's cool. I think that's why I love I mean, that sounds a little self-centered. Oh. I don't mean it that way at all. But, but yeah, I, he's my everything. Like, he's become my other half. That's awesome. Well, one, one of the things I've always said on here is that one of my models of life I've adopted from John Piper is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him, especially in times of like trial and grief. Mm -hmm. And for me, I think from people of the church, we could look at you and say that you have lived that. Mm -hmm. You have been that reflection Mm -hmm. of satisfaction in him that's bringing him glory. I hope so. Which is awesome. Yeah. So I thank you for being here with me today. This was this was great talking with you. I think some people are going to learn some stuff from you. Well, thanks for having me. This it was great. fun having a conversation with you. 